0: you are greater than we can imagine you are too beautiful for us to fathom oh you are great greatly to be praised oh you are great
1: one caught in sin.
0: Let no one caught in sin remain inside the lie of inward shame. But fix our eyes upon the cross and run to him who showed Beneath. The- travel He never sinned, but suffered as if he did.
2: thank you that you have overcome everything. Through Christ, you have defeated our greatest enemies. And we come today to worship you and declare that you are indeed the great God. Be glorified in our worship today. We know that you are with us. Give us hearts that are open to you throughout this entire time of worship. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Take a moment, share what a greeting with others who are here in worship today. Well, our crisis has been averted. We got the projectors back. I don't know how that happened, but thank you to whoever did that. A little divine intervention as well as human ingenuity, I think, coming together. So we want to... uh, It's great to see you as we gather for worship today on this uh, cold, wintry, uh, windy morning. But uh, we're glad that you're a part of this time of worship this morning. A few things I want to highlight in the life of the church is an insert in your bulletin with a number of upcoming events things that you can participate in, and we encourage you to take a look at that. I just want to highlight uh, the small groups, uh, many of which will begin next week. And uh, we'd love to have you involved in a small group. You see information there. If you have questions about the groups, uh, contact uh, any of the pastors, but Pastor Mike Jordan uh, oversees these, so he would probably have the most information for you. But we'd love to have you involved in the group, so please take note of that. If you haven't been, this is a great time to join. Tonight at 6 o'clock, we have the privilege of baptizing uh, 12 of our young people. Uh, many of them are students at the academy. And it's going to be a, a great night of uh, coming together and celebrating what God's doing in their lives. So we encourage you to be here at 6 o'clock uh, for this exciting service of baptism. Wednesday evening, all of our ministries are up and running on regular schedule. Next Sunday morning, a regular schedule of worship at 8, 20, 9, 40, and 11. And there are always concerns for prayer that uh, we want to remember. The things listed in the bulletin, other things happening in our lives, in the world. And the great thing is that we know when we pray, God hears us. And uh, we want to bring to him each of these burdens and these concerns that uh, are a part of our world and of our lives.
1: Our scripture reading for this morning is from Luke 10 verses 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go. And do likewise. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word. As the ushers come forward to assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings, children ages two through five are dismissed for Children's Church, which meets on the first floor of the Christian Education Building.
2: In a few moments praying together. If you'd like to use the altar rail as your place of prayer, I invite you to join me. Come today, admitting that we wrestle so often with divided hearts. We're burdened about the ongoing clamor of war and hatred and violence and grief that infects the earth, but we have to admit that too often we cling to pretty destructive behaviors. We talk about helping others, but we're often more interested ourselves than anyone else we proclaim the need for grace and then focus so much of our energy on our our own brand of justice in this moment of prayer reveal our powerlessness to change and and reveal to us your unlimited power to do everything On this Sunday when we specifically think about the sanctity of human life, fill us with love and compassion for the unborn and for the born, for those who agree with us and for those who do not. And we pray that you will bring an end to the heinous disregard for all that you love. Fill us and our world with a new passion for life. Father, this is also a weekend when, when we remember the, the work and the influence of Dr. King. We thank you for, for the ways in which you used him to speak into our nation and into our hearts so inflicted with bigotry and racism. And we ask, Father, that you will continue to heal our nation. And let it begin with the church. That we would be people who who cross lines that so often divide us. That we would see people who are different from us the way you see them. And that we would be people of compassion and love and mercy and grace. Father, we come today facing all kinds of stuff in our lives. Some of it truthfully really frightens us. We're worried about where that diagnosis is going to lead, what that test is going to reveal. We're thinking today about people who are dear to us and have died. We miss them. We wonder about the tenuous nature of some of our relationships, Will healing ever come. And the pain is so deep. We're feeling apprehensive about the next steps of life, where we're going, how we're going to get there, where we will be in the next six months, year, five years. The uncertainty of life is testing our faith in ways that we could have never imagined. Today we acknowledge how much we need you, that we are lost without you. And we pray that... You will speak deeply into our souls of peace and comfort and security and of your presence. Father, we pray that you'll teach each of us this day and every day to focus on you, to rejoice in who you are and what you're doing in our lives and in this world. And deepen our realization that you are the rock of ages and that we can cling to you for strength and transformation and all that we need and all that we could dream of being. And we pray this through the grace and the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: lost are saved, find their way at the sound your of your greatness.
2: Father, we want to praise your great name. We realize that one of the ways we do that is to listen to you and to let your word grow deep within us. And we pray that this will indeed be what happens as we continue in our worship of you. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. There are a lot of opinions out there about the church. Some of them are true. Some are false. Uh, Some are disparaging. Some are encouraging. And every one of us has an image in our minds about the church. What the church should be. what, What the church is about. Why the church exists. And it's not uncommon for local churches to step back periodically and ask ourselves, what does our church look like? What what is it that that makes the church where we are the church? About three or four years ago, uh, this is exactly what we did. Uh, The the elders and and the pastors got together and we created a, a small group of people to begin working on What is is it that we are as a church? What's our purpose? What's our vision? And what came out of that eventually was, uh, through a series of over probably eight, nine months, uh, a recommendation we made to to the church as a whole, and we tinkered with that, and we talked about it. And eventually, we came out with the bookmark that's in your bulletin today. And we have distributed these before, but wanted to, to give them out to you again today, and hopefully you'll take that with you and keep that in front of you. And if you look at the, the side that has the multicolors on it, you see sort of the, the, the big arching picture that, in a sense, is every church. This is what it means to be a part of the kingdom. But we also wanted to talk about what it means specifically to be this church. And on the backside of that, we were specifically thinking about our vision. Not so much what we are, but what God wants us to be. And really the overriding idea of that, really the main thing that was driving that, was we wanted to create a vision for what we would be as a church that could only be accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit. We didn't want to put down things that if we just thought about it long enough, if we just put together the right ideas and principles, we could do it. We wanted this to be something that could only be accomplished, that we could only be if the Holy Spirit got a hold of us and made it happen. And that in our willingness to let the Spirit work, God could take us places that we could never possibly end up on our own. And so as you look through those bullet points... Quite honestly, you look at them and you think, for us to accomplish that is crazy. For us to actually be that is impossible without the Holy Spirit working in us. And that's exactly what we wanted to have happened. We also did not want this to become something that we spent time with, worked on, and then put it into a, a drawer somewhere and no one ever thought about it again. And that's why we decided on the bookmark, because it's something that we can keep with us. And it's also why we, throughout each of the years, have come back and looked at some elements of the of this statement. And last, last spring at our vision meeting... Uh, we divided up into 12 groups and each group took one of those bullet points and talked about them, where we see this at work in our church and, and some ways where, we, where it's missing and how, what are some ideas of things that we might be able to incorporate to help us move toward what the Spirit has for us. It was very enlightening and I've read through those statements and the elders have read through them and we've talked about them. It was very helpful. And then last fall, the elders and the pastors got together for an evening and we, and we took this statement and we, had, we asked ourselves a question, what do we need to work on now? Out of those 12 bullet points, what are the things that we think are most imperative for us to talk about and to think about right now? And we divided up into two groups, there were probably about 18 or 20 of us there. And we divided into two groups and each group asked themselves that question. And we went through these bullets and each group independently began to think about what would we pull out as we would say the most three or four most important things that we as a church ought to be thinking about right now. They're all important, but what can we focus on right now? Because you can't really focus on 12 things at once. And when we came back together, both groups had chosen the exact same four things. I'm thinking that might be something God is saying to us. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at those four bullet points. Just putting in front of us something about what God may be calling us to think about and to be and to be open to to be the church in this place. And some ways, some things that are important for us to think about. And to process and to pray about and and how God can can move in us individually and corporately in these ways. And today we want to talk about the bullet point of embracing and loving all people. It's interesting, I think it's appropriate that we talk about that bullet point because we're in the season of epiphany right now. And epiphany, you know, means manifestation, revelation. And the season of Epiphany focuses on some of the early events of Jesus' life. It it focuses on his baptism, where he reveals to people, to the world for the first time, uh, his mission and as he begins his ministry. It it focuses on his first miracle. That God is is concerned and interested and involved in the the most daily, normal things of of our lives. That Christ's first miracle will be at a wedding. But the very first event that Epiphany focuses on is the coming of the Magi into the Nativity story. And the coming of the Magi has to be one of the most surprising things that a Jew would read as he's reading through the second chapter of Matthew and the story of Jesus' birth. This is the Messiah. This is the chosen one of God who has come into the world. And in the midst of this story, right at the beginning of the story, you have included... Pagan astrologers who are the heroes of the story. Now these are people who are not Jews and these are people who, whose life work is devoted to something that God has said Jews don't do. And yet here they are in the middle of the story. And the other part of that is that as they come to Jerusalem and they ask where is he used to be born king of the Jews and Herod gets the the Jewish scribes and, and the people who know that kind of thing together and they tell him, well, it's going to be in Bethlehem and the stars appeared and they don't seem to care. And you have this contrast between two groups of people. And we're reminded in the coming of the Magi that Jesus comes not just for a select group of people, but for all people. The coming of Christ is about him coming into the world for everyone. And that's one of the reasons why, as the church, we are called to embrace and love all people. Now, the moment we start talking about embracing and loving all people, welcoming all people, one of the first things that comes to our mind is the, the idea, the mindset, we have this caution that, well, does that mean that it doesn't matter what people do? That we're just throwing out all of our biblical standards because we just, we just want to welcome people. Not at all. Embracing and loving all people does not mean we now no longer have any biblical standards. That the things that the scripture teaches us about what's right and wrong just simply disappear. Those are important for us. They always are. The truth of God's word is always significant to what it means to be the church. And embracing and and loving all people does not eliminate that or even minimize that. We have our our belief system, and it's important that we maintain truth and that we understand the call that God makes upon people's lives. What we're simply saying is, in the midst of maintaining truth, we can still love people. In the midst of maintaining truth, we can embrace people. Because the reality is, no one really cares about our truth until they believe we care about them. And in the church, we embrace and love each other, even when we disagree, even when we have differences of opinion. Because that's what the kingdom does, what we do in the kingdom. Sometimes, in in maintaining our spirit of truth, people may misunderstand us. But I've also come to realize that most of the time, people aren't misunderstanding us. They're getting the message that we're trying to send. Because as we try to maintain truth, too often, we think that maintaining truth and loving people are mutually exclusive. And they're not. They're not at all. You see, as the evangelical church, Jesus knows that our struggle is a lot more often about, about keeping people out than letting people in. Our struggle is being too close to people, not being too open to people. And that's part of our human nature. I mean, we're good at building boundaries all the time. We like to protect what we believe and what we think. And and we're experts at that. We're experts at closing people out. We're experts at judging people. Which is why the kingdom is so counterintuitive to us and to our world. Because Jesus comes and says, the kingdom is about embracing and loving all people. Even as you maintain the tension of keeping the truth. We love people. We care for people. See, our problem is, we think the kingdom is about being right. And Jesus tells us the kingdom is about being loving. We think the kingdom is about winning. About making sure that people understand our opinion. About making sure that people agree with our opinion. And Jesus keeps telling us the kingdom is about love. Because the only way people are going to listen to our opinion, the only way people are going to take heed to the truths of, of, of who Christ is, is if they first believe they are loved. I'm convinced that there are very, very few people who reject Christ on what they would say as intellectual grounds, really do that because of intellectual arguments. When you begin to uncover the layers of, of, of their disagreements, I have found that most of the time what's underneath that is some kind of emotional response where a Christian has hurt them or the church has snubbed them or they have felt rejected, unloved by people who follow Christ. And it's just made it easy to believe that the, the principles of Christ in the church are wrong. Something in us seems to default toward judgment rather than toward love. And it's contrary to the kingdom. Earlier this fall, I, there was an article in the New York Times about uh, an event that the, the Southern Poverty Law Center had been, had instituted... It's the 11th year they've done it called Mix It Up at Lunch Day. I don't know if any of you have heard of that. This was the first I had heard about it. But it's designed as a program, for, to, as an, a program to, to minimize and hopefully eliminate bullying in schools. And so what they, what they do on this day is they bring school children. And at lunchtime, they, they, they sit people, school children in places and with people that they would normally never interact with. And it might be because of socioeconomic differences, it might be racial differences, it it might be all kinds of, whatever the differences may be. They try to to sit students together for lunch on this one day with people that they would never interact with otherwise. And in in the process of that, maybe get to know them a little bit because it's a lot harder to bully someone that you have a relationship with. In the midst of that, there was an, uh, an evangelical parachurch group that sent an email out to all of their followers that said, on this day, I think it was October 30th, now this program is really just a veiled threat to, to make homosexual behavior um, and homosexual lifestyle uh, common mainstream in the public schools. So on this day, boycott it and keep your children home. And this organization says that their, their goal is to fight ungod- the rising ungodliness in our nation. Which, as I interpret that, it means godliness is believing the way they believe, agreeing with them, and ungodliness is not. Now, I don't know, I can't tell you whether this is some kind of veiled, if they're right, if there is some, something underneath the surface going on in this thing, I don't know that. But what bothered me as I read this article is that there was a natural rush to judgment. Rather than thinking, maybe this is something that we can work with. These are people trying to bring folks, kids together to stop something that we all want to stop. And when it all boiled down, the people who looked loving was not this evangelical group. And too often, that's the image that we portray as the church. And yet when we read the Gospels, where do we find Jesus eating with people nobody else wants to eat with? Hanging out with outcasts and in the words of of the people around them, sinners. We continually find Jesus welcoming and loving people that he shouldn't welcome and love And yet Jesus is able to maintain that tension of welcoming folks and truth, embracing people and truth. And it's the call of the church. You come to the story of the Good Samaritan. And, you know, you have this teacher in the law, comes to Jesus, and he asks two questions. The first question is, how do I inherit eternal life? And the second question is, who's my neighbor? He must not have been around Jesus very much because if it were me, I don't think I'd be asking Jesus questions that I thought might put him in a bad light. It always ends up bad for the person who asks the question. It always comes back on you. And and, and Jesus is saying to him, these two questions are connected. Eternal life and understanding who your neighbor is are connected. And he says, you know, he said, Jesus says, well, what do you think? And he says, love the Lord your God, for your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, that's right. But it's not enough. So the guy says, so who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells him the story. It's a little hard for us to grasp how radical this story is. Samaritans and Jews sworn enemies. They hate each other. And particularly Jews toward the Samaritans. But they both, they, they, they dislike each other immensely. I was trying to put that in the context of our lives. And I, all I could think of is something like this. An American's walking down the road and, and he's attacked and beaten and left for dead. And a Catholic priest walks by and walks on the other side of the road. An evangelical pastor walks by and walks on the other side of the road. And a Muslim man walks by and he stops and he helps him and he binds up his wounds and he takes him to the hospital and he pays for everything. That sort of makes us cringe, doesn't it? Who's our neighbor? I think this story not only talks to us about caring for people, but it talks to us about what it means to embrace and love people. There's compassion here. There's compassion for, there's a sense growing inside of us that this person's in need and we cannot not help them. It's a word that is used when Jesus looks on the crowd And he sees that they're helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd and he feels compassion for them and he goes to them and he heals the sick and he binds up the wounded and he teaches them the truth. And it's the word used in the parable about the master whose slave owes him an, an exorbitant amount of money he could never repay in four lifetimes. And he has compassion on him and he forgives the debt. And it's the word used for the prodigal son's father that when he sees his son walking up the road, he has compassion on him and he runs to him and he throws his arms around him and he says, Son, I'm so glad to have you home. Forget about everything else. It's that compassion, it's involvement. You can't love people without being involved. There has to be action. It's not enough to say, I love those people. I love that person. It doesn't mean anything until we see it. Loving with our words is hollow. Love is only love when it comes out of us in action, in sacrifice, in giving, in going beyond what is comfortable for us just like the Samaritan in the story. When we ask ourselves, who is my neighbor? When I think of neighbors. I think of the people that lived around us at our home at 1701 North Thomas Avenue in Evansville, Indiana, when I was growing up. And, and I think about the the guys who lived next to me in the dorm that played their music until one in the morning when I tried to sleep, or the guy next door who we nicknamed Mooch because he would always get into your room and steal stuff out of the care packages that your family had sent you. Or I think about the, the woman that lived, her house was right on the parking lot of the church where we were, lived in Wisconsin. And and when you talk about eccentric, my goodness. I mean, I went into her house a few times and she had stacks of newspapers that, for 50 years all around her house. And those little shopper things that you get in the in the mailbox. She had years and years of those. Many of them still in the plastic cellophane wrappers, and it was just amazing. And but we kind of built a relationship. And as her as her mind began to uh, to have struggle, she or she couldn't quite get grasp things all the time. And her daughter told me that she said she, my mom really likes you guys. But she said, she told me one day she feels really sorry for you because obviously the church doesn't pay you enough money because every Sunday you've got to fill the parking lot up with cars and you have to sell them all off. And every Sunday you have coming back and doing the same thing over and over again in order to supplement your income. By the way, you might as well hand your keys to the usher as you leave this morning. You won't be needing them. You know, we we think about our neighbor and we think about those people and of course Jesus is telling us it's got to be bigger than that it's got to be more than that maybe it's the people that we have a difficult time loving caring for people who are diametrically opposed to us ideologically people who who may treat us with unkindness those are our neighbors And the hard thing about this is that Jesus continues to call the church to behavior that is not natural in ourselves. He is calling us to behavior that can only take place in the supernatural. That we embrace and love not just the people that are easy to embrace and love, but particularly the people who are not. That's what sets us apart as the church. That we embrace and love people that other people don't. That we would naturally not. But how else will they ever realize that Jesus has something for them that nobody else has? How else will they know that there's more to life than how they're living? Because Jesus wants to do something transformational in them. How will they know that? And it's not that we love people in order to bring them to Jesus. We just love people. See, if we love people to bring them to Jesus, we'll always end up being manipulative. We'll use any means possible to get them to Jesus, even things that wouldn't please Jesus. Jesus because our goal is getting them to Jesus. But When I read through the Gospels, I just see Jesus loving people. And out of that love, people respond. They're open. They, they want him. It's that spirit of love. And I think what we sometimes miss is that there is a direct correlation, a direct connection between our relationship with God and how we embrace and love other people. We have it into our minds that our relationship with God, that's essential. Our relationship with people, that's negotiable. But when you read through the scriptures, we couldn't be more wrong. A number of times in John's first epistle, he says, if you say you love God and you hate your brother or sister, you are a liar. You don't really love God. You cannot love God and hate other people. It is impossible. And one of the most significant ways in which you express your love for God is in loving other people. They're connected. And loving other people, embracing and loving people is not just about the people we love. It's about us. It's about our hearts. Because if we are closed off to people, I guarantee you, we will end up being closed off to God. It, it's just the way it is. But if we're really open to God, if we are truly loving God as much as we know, it will be expressed in loving other people. And particularly the people that are most difficult for us to love, but that's what the kingdom, that's what the church is about. On Friday, at Lucille Gallup's funeral, her son David was was sharing some stories of Lucille's life, and he talked about how, when they years ago, when Devere and Lucille lived in Pennsylvania, and he was working down there. One day, it was in the late 60s, early 70s, some students from Boston University came to their door and they were soliciting support against the Vietnam War. And And if you're around in those days or you've read about those days, you know how divided our country was during that time. And there, there was a lot of stuff going on and people, you know, there, there were, you know riots on campuses, and there were all kinds of things happening. And these were students who were so concerned about the war that they wanted to do whatever possible to try to raise awareness to stop it. And, and I got the impression from David that Devere and Lucille probably didn't agree with these students' perspective. But when Lucille heard what they were doing, it was a cold winter day, probably not like today. She invited them in and she made some hot chocolate and served them hot chocolate and cookies and sat down and visited with them. And then because Devere wasn't going to get home till later, she invited them back for supper so that they could eat a meal together and talk through this. And I thought to myself, wow. I mean, that, that, that's the kingdom in a nutshell of what it means to embrace and love people. To be welcoming, to serve them, to talk through things, to share the spirit of Christ with whomever. And we have we put this tree up here. It was in the prayer room during our prayer vigil. As we were talking about praying as the family of God and you know, as we went in to pray, everyone when they finished wrote their name on one of those leaves and stuck it into the tree and we have this this tree filled with leaves and it's going to be up here the next few weeks just to remind us of the diversity and the unity and diversity of the church. As we think about the church as a tree, I'm wondering what kind of tree are we? Are we a, a man-eating tree that people do everything in their power to keep their distance from us? Or are we an apple tree that has such luscious fruit on it, people can't stay away? The answer to that question has eternal significance for others and for us. I want us to take a moment and to think about think about the, the person the group of people that you find difficult to love that you would find it difficult to, to live out this call to embrace and love all people And as that person or group of people comes to mind, ask God to change your heart and to change us as the church in this place. Father, we hear your call on us. And you know our struggle. Change us. Change us as individuals. And change us as a church. Lord, we want our reputation to be the reputation of Jesus. who sacrificially embraces and loves all people. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. I want you to do something this week. As you think about that person or that group of people. I want you to pray that God will put something into your mind about something you can do to reach out to them. Something, some, kind, some act that will stretch you, push you to an act of love and kindness toward whomever God put into your mind as we thought a minute ago. And let's see what God does benediction. In the words of Paul to the church at Thessalonica, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. And may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when Jesus Christ comes with all of his holy ones. Amen.